Florida City Water Hack, the critical questions about OT security, and an exclusive interview with the CISO of the World Health Organization. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. Florida City's water supply hack certainly caught the world's attention this week. So what do we know so far and what are the wider implications with regards to OT security? To help answer these questions, I caught up with ISMG's executive editor of GovInfo Security, Scott Ferguson, who's been following the story closely. Good to see you, Scott. So the story that has gained most attention and traction this week has got to be the Florida Water Treatment Facility hack. Supposedly a bad actor hacker tried to poison Florida City's water supply. Now you've been following the story closely along with our colleague, Jeremy Kirk. What do we know so far? Well, thanks, Anna, uh, and great to be with you. Well, what we know so far is that an unknown hacker or hackers got into the network of this water treatment facility in Oldsmar, Florida, and they were able to get to a computer terminal of an operator down there. And they started off by just kind of moving the mouse and the cursor around. And then they came back in later. And this was all observed by the facility there. And then they started to change the level of lye that was going into the water, changing into like 11,000 parts. And if that was released, obviously that would have contaminated the water. It would have poisoned people. It was caught in time. It was almost caught in real time as it happened. From there, they began an investigation. What had happened here? How had they gotten in? From what we had seen so far by my reporting, and as you mentioned, Jeremy, this facility had a lot of remote access because folks needed to be able to get into these systems. There was a lot of ways into that. And apparently this hacker or these hackers had come across this. And one of the very weak points that they had found was something called TeamViewer, which allows for remote access or remote work. And they were able to use that a little bit in order to get access to this terminal because somebody else could use it. And that's why it initially didn't set off alarm bells because the operator knew his boss and his boss's boss would use TeamViewer to get into these systems. So when he saw somebody taking it over, he said, well, this is okay. But it's when they started changing the level of chemicals that were supposed to go into the water that it set off some alarm bells. So that's kind of where we are right now. It's under investigation. You've written an excellent piece on the critical questions that the incident raises. What are the highlights for you? Well, again, what we talked about a little bit is the remote access that these facilities have. And a government agency like CISA has been very, very open about you shouldn't have these type of remote access without additional security layers. You need at least multi-factor authentication. You shouldn't have remote access if you don't need it. You know, if you're using something like TeamViewer, what version are you using? Are you should you be using the enterprise version to make sure it's protected? Jeremy wrote a piece uh, that is out today talking about weak passwords. Some of these systems are using Windows 7. Microsoft's been very open that Windows 7 is no longer protected by them. You know, you need to upgrade to Windows 10, or if you're running it, you really need to keep up with the patches on your, your own and, and discuss this. TeamViewer has said to me that they don't believe it was a flaw in their particular product. And that's what their statement is right now, but they are checking it out just to make sure that there isn't a zero day. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't seem like this was a sophisticated hacking operation. It might've been a crime of opportunity. There's no indication that it was a nation state of poking around there. I found it noteworthy to hear what Florida City's manager said, and I'll quote him directly now. I think we anticipated that this day was coming. We talk about it, we think about it, we study it. So whilst it's still unclear whether this was a nation state attack, the fact is, 
And as cybersecurity journalist Brian Krebs pointed out, the majority of water treatment plants in the US rely on remote access software. So with that in mind, what do you feel is the significance of this attack? And what are the wider implications when it comes to OT security? Yeah, when you talk about operational technology security, this has obviously been an issue that's come up. Industrial control systems and SCADA systems, as they're referred to, were never really meant to be hooked into the internet. They aren't necessarily being hooked into the internet themselves, but the network does have internet access, which can allow somebody to move over there. It's very difficult to do. Again, that's why these situations are rare, but it does bring up questions about operational technology security. And this is where CISA would come in because critical infrastructure, you have to look beyond water treatment facilities, power plants, other things like that. They also have remote access. They also have shortages of staff where people need to get in and for remote in. Tom Kellerman, who is with VMware and he's advised on on government panels before, says one thing CISA needs to do is threat hunt. They need to get in there. They really need to know what these systems are doing. And issues like the Florida water treatment that are so part of the critical infrastructure, they should be part of that conversation as well. Either they have to do it themselves as the private industry, or they need to say to CISA, we need you to come in. We need you to really be our security partner with this. As more and more things get hooked into the internet, these things will kind of keep happening. Scott, thank you so much for your insight. It'll be interesting to see how this develops and whether it's going to spark similar attacks in the near future. It's, It's definitely one worth watching. And Anna, thank you so much. I really appreciate talking to you. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. The SolarWinds hacking incident highlighted the urgent need to better protect our supply chain. But is it merely a patching issue? Well, no, says the CISO of the World Health Organization, Flavio Agio, who says that beyond patching, we need to upgrade the human operating system. Here's Agio in conversation with ISMG's Senior Vice President of Editorial, Tom Field, on the vulnerabilities that need to be addressed. Just as a side note, you can watch the full interview at the upcoming ISMG Healthcare Summit on March 16th and 17th. So do check out our sites to register for free. Patching is not new. Uh, patching is absolutely necessary. I encourage constant patching, but the supply chain is not a patching problem. Uh, the supply chain attack is a discipline that IT needs to have uh, from the privileged access management side uh, and make sure that only the people that really has the authority can upload software, can make modifications necessary for that software to work, but also a protocol of certification. So how do you know, how do you trust that the software that you're getting is the software that you think you're getting? So that is the big aha moment. And this will require a lot of energy. Again, I go back to the human operating system. We need to reflect and think about how we can incorporate those uh, new ways of thinking from the zero trust philosophy. With that, we can reduce those types of attacks. It's almost impossible to eliminate because, hey, we are humans. Uh, We make mistakes. Mistakes can happen. And the important piece is after you realize that mistakes can happen, a detection mechanism, multiple layers of detection, so you can respond appropriately to avoid a problem or to repair a problem that might happen. 
And finally, criminals are still craving cryptocurrency, says Matthew Schwartz, ISMG's executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe. Here he is, managing to link cryptocurrency, nation-state hackers, and social media influencers, all in the same segment. Criminals continue to crave cryptocurrency. While there are plenty of individuals using Bitcoin, Monero, and other virtual currencies for legitimate purposes, cryptocurrency has also been a boon to criminals because it makes illicit transactions more difficult to trace. One huge proponent of cryptocurrencies remains the cash-strapped government of North Korea, which faces crippling sanctions in part over its nuclear weapons program. To help fund the regime, including not only weapons of mass destruction, but also luxury goods for the country's ruling class, the UN says that North Korea has been stealing funds via hacking, as well as targeting cryptocurrency, oftentimes by hacking exchanges. The UN says North Korea has stolen nearly a billion dollars in cryptocurrency alone, including $218 million via a single hack of Singapore's KuCoin exchange last September. So reports Japan's financial newspaper Nikkei, which has seen a draft of a new UN report. In the report, the UN says North Korea has also been using chain hopping, which refers to buying stolen cryptocurrencies using other types of cryptocurrency to help launder stolen funds. In North Korea's case, the regime appeared to be using traders in China, Nikkei reports. Nation-state attackers aren't the only ones, however, targeting cryptocurrency or using it to launder stolen funds. On Tuesday, the EU's police agency, Europol, announced that 10 individuals had been arrested on suspicion of being part of a sim-swapping gang that stole more than $100 million worth of cryptocurrency from victims last year, including famous internet influencers, sports stars, musicians, and their families. The suspects, who were arrested in England, Scotland, Belgium, and Malta were allegedly part of a 12-person strong gang that practiced sim-swapping attacks. Last October, Europol said that police across Europe had been reporting a surge in sim-swapping attacks. Such attacks involved tricking a telecommunications provider into deactivating a legitimate user's sim and porting the allocated number over to a sim belonging to a member of the criminal network. At that point, criminals can use the reset password function built into banking and other apps to change the password to one that they control, which then allows them to receive reset codes sent via SMS to the phone. Britain's National Crime Agency says that after changing the passwords, the victim is denied access and the criminals have free reign over their contacts, banking apps, emails, and social media accounts. News of the arrests comes in the wake of a new report from blockchain analysis firm Chainalysis, which found that the overall value of cryptocurrency tied to crime in 2020 decreased from 2019. Even so, in 2020, over $520 million worth of cryptocurrency was stolen from services and individuals through hacks and non-technical attacks such as social engineering and phishing, Chainalysis reports. Victims included not only KuCoin, but also Josh Jones, CEO of Bitcoin Builder, who last year lost $40 million via a single sim-swapping attack. With criminals continuing to crave cryptocurrency, such attacks are sure to continue. For Information Security Media Group, 
I'm Matthew Schwartz. That's it from ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. <laughs>